Leaving comfort is rough, but God was so enamored with us that he left the comfort of heaven. That's pretty local. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. So God himself took on a fragile body. God of the universe got the flu and the common cold. He sweated and he bled. He took on haters. He was jumped by soldiers. People spat on him and ultimately murdered him. And in that weak, breakable body, Jesus sat with the contagious and the hurting. He listened, he healed them, he encouraged them, he taught them. And that's where he found us, in the sketchy places you wouldn't take tu familia. And rather than call us hopeless, Jesus pulled us out the gutter, placed hands on the addicted, shady, and diseased people. He looked us in the eyes and called us beloved children. This is the incarnation, God incarnate. God in the meat, God on the block, God on the street. And these are the stories of the people he met. Hey City Life, how you guys doing? Good morning, I'm Dale. I'm our lead pastor for City Life Church, and uh, I'm honored to be here with you today. Uh, a few things I just want to say at the very beginning. Um, I want to read to you a quote from Erwin McManus. He's a pastor in L.A., and he says this. He says, violence is the recourse of those whose ideas are small and hearts are so hardened that they leave no room for dissent or even difference. Violence is a demand for compliance and conformity with fear as its only apologetic. Violence is the outcome of the lowest level of thinking. I'd like to just start this morning with praying. Lord, we mourn this morning with so many across our country who are struggling. We weep for those who are hurting this morning. God, today we think about those who are from the Tree of Life Synagogue. God, we pray your blessing on the families of Joyce Feinberg, Richard Gottfried, Rose Malinger, Jerry Rabinowitz, Cecil Rosenthal, David Rosenthal, Bernice Simon, Sylvan Simon, Daniel Stein, Melvin Wax, Irving Younger. God, for those uh, of our Jewish friends who are afraid this morning, we ask that you would be their comforter. Um, For the police officers who were shot, uh, we ask that you would comfort their families and encourage them. God, for those who have been, uh, had bombs sent to them this week, Uh, who are scared, and the family members, and those who are in politics and media and all those different things, we ask that you would comfort them and ask that they would find their safety and protection in you. God, for those in, in the Kroger shooting in Jefferson, Kentucky, we ask your blessing on them, those who were sought out because of the color of their skin. Pray your blessing on the families of Marie Stollard and Vicki Jones. Lord, would you comfort their families 
uh, particularly Maurice's grandson who was with who was with him at the time. God, would you be their great comforter? Lord, we as a church grieve for these families and ask that you would be their comfort when nothing else can. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's been quite a week, huh? Um, it's been a hard one, and it's been a, but today is a good day to be with the church. When things are hard, we gather together and we grieve together. Um, I got a text from someone who, who said this morning that today was going to be good because the devil was trying to keep him away. Four things tried to stop them from coming, and they made it. So glad to see you, Audra. Um, I know whenever I'm going to preach on evil, that stuff comes at me. It's just a thing. It's just a thing. I know what's going to happen. Um, sometimes I think of it, hey, George, I'm still getting some feedback up here. I don't know. Um, it's just a thing that happens. And so when I, but I, here's how I tend to think of it. Um, this is how we often tend to think of it. If we're going to talk about evil or we're going to attack the devil or demons or anything like that, then he's going to attack us. And, and I, I think um, that maybe gives God not enough credit. The fact is, is that God knew that we would be attacked. <laughs> and I think that God, perhaps knowing that many of us would be attacked this morning, knowing that many of us would go through something, knowing that your pastor was going to go through things, knowing that our country was going to go through things, that the devil, the devil was not in front of this, that God was in front of this, and God chose this message for this day. Um, so today we're going to be in Mark 5, 1 through 20. Mark 5, 1 through 20. But I want to tell you a story first. I lived in Irvine, California for a while, which is like the worst place for me to live because it's so perfect and I don't like to take down Christmas lights, and I like to leave up bug zappers, and that's just kind of how I, I am. And uh, so I lived in Irvine, and I worked at a real nice church in Irvine, and we were going on this retreat up into the mountains where I was uh, being tasked with leading worship. And um, as I was driving, my phone started to blow up, and I was just getting message after message, like, turn around, turn around, there's a fire. You can't go. Well, my wife, Ashley, had already made plans without me, knowing that I would be gone for the weekend. Uh, she was having like a Bollywood marathon with some friends where they were watching Indian movies, like Indian versions of American movies. I, I don't know. There's like a movie called Bride and Prejudice. I don't even know. Um, but that was what my wife was, was going to see. And so, um, so my boss, my boss and an elder at the church I worked at said, let's go see a movie. And I was like, yes, awesome. Guys night out, right? Like, we're not going to go to the mountains. We're going to go see a movie. And so, you know, I, we just met at the movie theater. I got my, like, extra large Coke, which I have learned now that um, I can't have caffeine after, like, two, maybe one. I don't know if anybody else is that way. Some of you guys just drink coffee in front of me late at night and say you'll be fine. It drives me nuts. But I, I, I had a giant Coke, and I thought we were going to see a movie called The Corpse Bride, which is like a claymation movie for kids that I super love. Because um, it was like right around Halloween time, right? I was like, oh, that's kind of fun, kind of like how Nightmare Before Christmas. And um, the elder and my boss said, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to go see this other movie. And I was like, well, oh, what are we going to see? Like, uh, it's called The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Have you heard of it? I was like, no, what's that? <laughs> that <laughs> sounds neat. Um, and uh, then I saw the pictures and I saw the trailer and I was like, hey, 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 could we go see Corpse Bride? Let's go see. They're like, come on, dude. 
Come on, you can see this. It's PG-13. It's not even R. You can go see it. So I went and saw the exorcism of Emily Rose with them, which um, was neat. And um, when I close my eyes, I still see it. <laughs> but, but there was a moment in this movie when, you know, there was an exorcism, of course, and there were demons and things like that where the, um, the, the I, I guess she's not a protagonist, but the, the little girl says that her name is Legions. Says her name is Legions from the Bible. And, you know, if you want to write a scary script, just put a little bit of Bible in it, and it will scare me straight up. So all that is to say, uh, I watched the movie, I freaked out, um, but, you know, I'm with my, my friends, I'm with my boss, I'm, and I, so I just casually walk to my car a little faster. Um, I get home, and it's, my house is empty. And I'm like, honey, when are you coming home? She's like, Bollywood, yo. Like, I'm not coming home till much later. I'm like, uh, you know, we, we really should spend this time together. Like, I'm missing you. And she's like, no, I'm with my girlfriends. We plan this way at a time. We're watching Bollywood. You can stay home. And I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm a little scared. She's like, deal with it. Deal with it. You're a grown man. Deal with it. So I tried to go to sleep, which was not, didn't work, you know. Which is funny, because I didn't know that it was probably because of that giant Coke that I had, but all that is to say, something scary happens at a certain time of night in that movie. And I remember uh, she finally made it home, and she's kind of annoyed because I'm tossing and turning the whole time because I'm a grown man afraid of a movie. Um, and there's a, a moment when it's getting really close to this one time in the movie that is like when the evil happens. Okay, once again, I'm a grown man, I'm a believer in Jesus, and it's getting closer to this time, and I'm starting to like breathe harder to the point where my breathing is like waking my wife up because I'm so nervous. Um, okay, so it, then it gets to the time that the evil is supposed to happen in the movie, and I kid you not, I just flip on the light in the house. She's sleeping in bed, the light is on. And um, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, just don't worry about it. Just go back to sleep. Just don't, don't worry about it. Go back to sleep. And I remember this moment. You know, it's, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, the devil's time in the movie, which makes no sense, but, you know, that's okay. It's 3 o'clock, and she pulls open her drawer to get out something to cover her face. Just, you know, because it's bright in the room. All I remember hearing is the drawer going, <laughs> You guys, I go from full lay down to on the bed, standing like this, ready to fight the devil with my fists, <laughs> breathing as hard as I can, looking like I'm going to get into a fight. That is my experience with Evil and Legions, this childish movie um, with very little biblical precedent where Jesus is not given any power over this demon that has already been driven out in the Bible, and somehow we cause ourselves to be afraid of things. Now, I will tell you, some people would tell you that the devil's greatest trick is causing you to believe that he doesn't exist. Some people have said that. I would say that there are two sides to that coin. I'd say the other side of it is fearing him. I'd say the other side is um, always thinking about him instead of giving glory and honor to God. So today, we are going to be talking about a story where the devil or demons were trying to get the best of Jesus, but Jesus, like, was yawning, okay? Like, Jesus was yawning at the presence of this evil. He was not afraid of it, and he didn't back down. And so that is the way we respond. 
Not, not like we are some great Jesus, but because we worship someone who's not afraid, we don't have to be. And so if you have your Bibles out, we're in Mark 5, 1 through 20. Mark 5, 1 through 20. We have Bibles available in the back if you need one. Let me read this to you. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he, that's Jesus, got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain. Because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion, he answered, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who had, ten, had tended them ran off and reported it into the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus, Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. Would you please pray with me, friends? God, would you speak to us today through your word? Um, as we tend to look at uh, what's happening in our country, in our world, we tend to feel powerless. And we ask that you would remind us of the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your grace and the power of your love that is so much bigger than the hate that we see. God, would you change our world? Would you change our hearts? Would you teach us today? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so this trip that the, the disciples were on um, I need to give you a little context about. So they've, they've arrived at this area, and um, I have books and books that talk about the confusion of, did they really arrive at this area? Was it talking about this area? And I just kind of feel like maybe, who cares? Um, but here, here's what's important, is most likely, okay, this is, this is coming after another story in the Bible. It's coming after a story where Jesus is asleep underneath a boat, you guys know this story. And then the storms start to get crazy. And then the disciples go to him and say, hey, are you cool if we die here? Because like, that's what's about to happen unless you do something. Jesus stands up, quiets the wind and the waves. So one thing that's, that's important to note is they've just been through it, okay? So they've just been through it. And most likely, we don't know this for a fact, it's dark. 
and spooky. And, and, and when you are going to arrive at Genesaret, most likely, there's not like, you know, like a whole bunch of floodlights, right? We're talking about ancient world. So what has just happened? They've almost died. They're getting to, um, they're pulling up to shore. And what is at the shore is important, okay? Um, here in this neighborhood, uh, they had caves, caves all over the shore. And within these caves, people would um, bring the bodies of their loved ones and lay them to rest. So you almost died. You're coming up to a port and you're with Jesus. I'm going to just imagine it's foggy because that just helps me. Um, and uh, it's dark and you got these tombs where there are these bodies. And what happens? A crazy dude comes running out of the tomb. You have to, like, if I'm there with Jesus, like, I'm going to walk behind him. Like, Jesus, I'm with you. You go first, but I'm with you, okay? You just, we're, we'll stay 100 feet behind you because that's, we can set up a perimeter. Jesus, that's what we're going to do. Um, but it's a scare, this is scary. Like, if you're coming here and you're experiencing this, like, a dude is coming out of the tombs. And a dude that's coming out of the tombs is uncontrollable, Someone that you cannot stop, you put chains around them, the dude will break them. This is a spooky little story. Like, this is when you go to the haunted house with your friend and you stay behind them the whole time, or behind me if you're my wife. Um, so this guy, this demoniac comes out, and he's screaming, and he's coming towards you. And I, I know for me, if I'm a disciple, all I can think is, nope, nope, nope. But at the same time, you've just seen Jesus silence the wind and the waves. So I have to wonder, what are they thinking right now? What are they feeling? Are they feeling fear? Are they feeling confidence? Because they're with the only one who just stopped everything and made the, the wind and the waves calm. Uh, but, you know, for me, Jesus, I'm going to go back to the boat. I'm going to wait there. Even if the storm is coming back, I'll just stay there with, with, with the stuff, and you can, you can go take care of this guy. So here we have three lessons when Jesus met a whole bunch of nope. Um, three lessons when Jesus met a whole bunch of nope. And my first point is a very simple one that is easy to understand here and really hard to understand in your heart. And that first point is this. Some people are too tough for you to help. Some people are too tough for you to help. I'm going to say it again for the people in back. Some people are too tough for you to help. Verse 3. He lived in the tombs. No one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Isn't that interesting when we talk about our culture and how this next generation has been cutting themselves? Do you find that interesting that this is what this man was doing who was overcome? And then just skipping down real fast to verse 9, he says, What is your name? My name is Legion, he answered him, because there, that we are many. Now, Legion and Roman regiment, some people believe it's about 4,000 people. Others believe it was 6,000 people. Um, all that is to say, once again, whole bunch of nope. So this dude is clearly for real. Like, this is not something that you fake. Um, it said that no one was strong enough to subdue him here. And it's important to look at the Greek word for subdue. Um, the word here for subdue is demazio. And it's the same word used in James 3 when he talks about taming a wild beast. 
This man is described as a wild beast. No one was able to tame him like a wild beast could not be restrained. So untamable. And, and let's be honest, like who voluntarily lives in a tomb? Um, not only is he living in a tomb, uh, he's living uh, near unclean animals as well. He's living near these pigs. This is where someone who, they would say, if you live near pigs, you were accursed. And so, there are people in our lives that we absolutely desire to change. And we want to help them change. And we do our best to put chains on those people, don't we? We think, I could fix this person, right? Like, I could just do enough work if I just, if I just get up early enough, if I just get in front of their struggles. I could change them, right? I could just help them with, with maybe they're in poverty. Maybe I can just help them with that. Or maybe they have illness. Or maybe they have addiction. And we just think, if I just work hard enough, I can get in front of this, right? And if you've experienced that with anyone, it, you can't. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you shackle someone down, thinking this will help them, it doesn't work. I want to tell you guys about a story. Uh, there's a book by Carl Ellis Jr. that tells an interesting story about a man named Jason Culpepper. This is a true story. Jason Culpepper was born in Atlanta, Georgia in 1947. He was the good kid, and he wanted to serve his family and be helpful. When he was 10, he went to live with his grandmother in Temple, Georgia. And there he started to spend time with another lady in um, the neighborhood, who he described as, quote, a pipe-smoking sm cold lady from Louisiana who was into some weird stuff. <laughs> One night, after fleeing his grandmother's beatings... He went to the old lady's house, and she offered him something to help with the pain. I'm going to quote him here. The first thing she did was to swear me to secrecy. Then she had me recite some chants, inhale some strange-smelling stuff, and drink some bitter liquid. As soon as I drank this liquid, I passed out. When I regained consciousness, I knew something had changed. Something was in me and with me. From that day, I found myself wanting to hurt something or somebody. The next whipping I got from my grandmother didn't hurt. Though she used a hickory stick, I looked at her and I started smiling. Before, I was a smart kid in school. Now I couldn't learn. I got into fights and I dabbled in the occult. Now, those of you who have your kids and kids right now, and usually they talk about what we talk about, this has been omitted from the kids' lesson, okay? <laughs> Don't you worry. You're not going to have nightmares based on this. Um, Later, Jason found himself screaming at people in a voice that was not his own. He became extremely violent. He shot people, like multiple people. He choked people out, and he was out of control. He said, how dangerous was that demonic voice inside of me? In prison, Jason met with men from the nation of Islam who taught him that if he tried hard enough, he could overcome the demon. If he worked hard to be good and followed Allah by doing good works, he could overcome the demon. He would be delivered. However, he only got worse and worse. Jason nearly died. No shackle could hold him. No prison could hold him. No religion could coax him to behave. No prophet's name under the sun would help him. All right, have a good Sunday, everyone. We'll just stop there, right? <clears throat> Acts 4.12, though, says that there is a salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which they must be saved. What is that name, friends? It is Jesus. 
And so if you're trying to save someone around you that seems unsavable, it's because you can't and they are unsavable by your works, by your hands. You cannot save people. You cannot save them. And if you are not safe around this person, let me remind you that you cannot save them. And I would prefer, friends, that if you are not safe around someone you're trying to save, that you leave that up to someone else. And so if you can't help someone, who can? And that's our second point, which should be obvious to many. It is Jesus has the power to save. In verse 6, it says, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. Now, that doesn't sound anything like the legions from the movie I saw, right? This scary demon who's afraid of no one. Man, that dude so quickly saw Jesus and ran down and knelt before him. He was scared of Jesus. Like, let's make that clear. He was afraid of Jesus. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Verse 10, it says, And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. And of course, we see that Jesus put that man in, or those, those demons into the pigs and they went down. Now, um, these demons are not like the demons we see on TV, right? Like, if you guys are into the monster movies right now, you know that you can never kill Jason. You can never kill uh, Michael Myers. Like, for some reason, somehow they come back. This is not the way demons in real life are. When they come against the power of the Most High God, they flee. They don't come back in the same way. When Jesus eradicates them, that's it. Um, so uh, even if they were powerful, Jesus is God and he's not afraid. Jesus is so powerful, Je uh, demons run out to meet him, hoping they'll get a fair audience with him. When you're afraid next time, consider the fact that God is bigger that God is more powerful, and that God's not afraid. Now, you, you probably are asking this question, what's the deal with the pigs, right? Now, as your pastor, I want to tell you, I don't know, but I'm going to give you several different uh, ideas that some people have had. I'm going to give you first the very, like, most simplistic idea that I think maybe lacks a little bit of, uh, well, let's just give it to you. There's a guy named William Barclay. This is why, what he believes about the pigs. He believes that it was to help a mentally ill man believe in his deliverance. Um, either way, if this were true, Jesus still did something powerful. Uh, here's what Barclay says. Jesus saw that there was only one way to cure this man, and that was to give him an unanswerable demonstration that the demons had gone out of him, at least unanswerable as far as his own mind was concerned. This was almost the only thing on earth that could have convinced him that he was cured. Jesus was like a wise healer who understood so kindly and sympathetically the psychology of a mind diseased, used the event to help the man climb back to sanity, and his disordered mind was restored to peace. That's a nice way to think about it. I think it's a little unspiritual. Like, I, I think that it's missing out on, on some of the power of Jesus. Now, we still see this would, if this were true, it would display the power of God. But I, I think it goes further. Um, some people see this as an attack on, on the Gentiles' religion. Um, the Gentiles who had rejected God had said, man, we know what the, uh, what the Jewish belief is about pigs, and we're all about it. We're hanging out by the tombs, which God was not all about, and uh, this could have been an attack upon them. Perhaps he was saying to them, you love your pigs more than this man. Perhaps he was saying, you love your commerce more than this man. Um, or even, why do you flaunt God's law and eat pork? 
Because at the time, that was not allowed. Um, now, there's another thing, like getting all historical on you. Um, if uh, you guys know about Homer's Odyssey, um, this would have been a very common story at the time that people would have known. Um, I hope I'm not getting too historical, but there was this beautiful witch goddess, Circe, and she turns Odysseus's men into pigs. And eventually, all of Odysseus' men, except for himself, end up drowning because of this woman who is not maybe such a great God. Um, so here we have Jesus doing the opposite. Jesus is actually protecting a, a man um, and allowing these pigs to die and changing the atmosphere of the whole neighborhood because he cares for this one person. So it's kind of interesting the way he might have been seen as attacking even the stories of the Romans and the Greeks at the time and saying, you know what, this man is more important and I love him. All in all, I do not know why the pigs were there, um, but I do know that they show God's power on display. It's important to note as well that when the pigs went tumbling down the hill to the death, uh, the demons showed their hand. The demons showed what their intention was for this man. They were bent on his destruction. Uh, friends, the power of evil are bent on your destruction as well. And they would throw you down into the abyss as soon as they have a chance. And so if you find yourself going to things to appease yourself, going to things to make yourself feel better that are not of God, I tell you that they're the way to destruction. Evil does not respect you. Evil does not respect your job. Do you have an awesome family that you come from? Evil doesn't care. Evil will not rest until you are destroyed. But evil respects Jesus. Evil respects Jesus. Why does Jesus have power in this name? It's the gospel. Jesus has earned the right to be a scary name because of what he's willing to do and the way he came to this earth. So we know we talk about the incarnation, right? God in the flesh. God willingly came to earth, made himself man so that we might experience him and so he might empathize. As our great high priest, he would empathize with our predicament that our mortal predicament is what it is. And there willingly live a perfect life and die as a sacrifice for us. There's a reason why the devil would attack Jesus. When Jesus was, was, was fasting and when Jesus was seeking God's will, that the devil would come after him and offer him as much as he could because the devil knew the long game that Jesus was going to end it, that Jesus was going to finish it. And so Jesus is respected. And in your life, there is a God who loved you, willingly died for you, rose again on the third day, illustrating his power over sin and death and evil. And he did it because he loved you. And that is the power at work. You guys know that um, I've always been kind of someone that defies authority. Um, as a believer, God has worked wonders on me and taught me how to follow people. But when I was a kid, I got into all kinds of shenanigans with my parents. And I can tell you that there would be times right around the age of nine when my mom said, you need to stop doing that. And I bet you know what my response was. No. And it was kind of empowering, right? That ability to say no. And, you know, we, we look at these, these demons as, as these petulant ch children that would say no to us. No. In the same way, when I said no to my mom, there was something there was one thing that she could say that would get me to listen. I'll go get your dad. I'll go get your dad. And that would usually get me to get into gear, right? 
because uh, I may not have respected my mom's ability to spank me at that point, but my dad's hand was much bigger, and my dad could swing his arm much harder. And so um, we should be afraid of evil, but when, but, but when that moment comes, we go get the Son. We go get the Holy Spirit. We appeal to the good Father who's not afraid. When, when evil comes against us and we look at evil in the eye and we say, I just have no answer to this, I'm going to go get that. That has to be our response. We're allowed to be afraid, but we also know that we can go to one who's stronger. Listen to the words from Jesus in Matthew 10, 26. Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, this is interesting, because when I first read this verse in the Bible, and I was a new believer, and I was going through it, and all I knew about anything about heaven and hell and anything like that was based on Tom and Jerry cartoons, um, when I read, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, I thought that was the devil. I don't know about you, but when you read that, that kind of sounds like it's talking about the devil if you don't have any history with the Bible. Um, And maybe you do have history, and you've always thought that was about, that's not about the devil. It's not saying to fear the devil. It's saying fear God. Like God is worth fearing. God has wrath against evil. God punishes evil. God is so willing to punish evil that he will punish it in himself. The Father punishes the evil, our evil, by punishing Jesus. And so when we think about who we should be afraid of, you should fear God. And if you walk in this life where you... um, are unwilling to consider the fact that he's pursued you, he loves you, and wants you to follow him, um, then I would be afraid for you. So that's a little too real, but okay. So um, here's the thing. You can't put shackles on some people. You can't put shackles on evil. You can only appeal to the one whom they are deathly afraid of. Jude 1.9 tells a story. Um, it says, When Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body... He did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So Michael, the archangel, like this is in the Bible, Jude 1, 9. It's super weird. And like, I was confused about the context the first few times I read it. But we see that even the the archangel, Michael is like, devil, I can't even like rebuke you, but the Lord rebuke you. It's so important that he doesn't say this in his own name, right? He's saying this in the name of the Lord. That's important. We have respect for evil, but we don't respect it so much that we think our God is not bigger. I don't like talking about this stuff, but I can tell you it's true. So the demoniac is miraculously healed by Jesus, and then he becomes a disciple of Jesus, and he follows him to the end of his days, right? There we go. That's wrong. What does Jesus say to him? He says, go home. Go home. Verse 15, they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And that's our our third point. Sorry, Jesus may send you to the people you already know. Verse 16, those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. 
Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people, report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. How cool is that? Jesus essentially says, you can't come with us. I have a better plan than that for you. And it's funny, the people of this town were less afraid of the demoniac ruining their way of life than they were of Jesus. They didn't celebrate this guy in the same way. Think about the time Jesus worked one of his first miracles in front of Peter, and Peter responds this way. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I'm sinful, Lord. How crazy is that? Like you experience a miracle and you're like, man, Jesus, just go. Just go. And the people were saying to Jesus, just go. So if Jesus is going to be begged to leave town, he needed some people to hang around. And who was better than the crazy dude that was suddenly sitting there in his right mind? Even though the dude requested that he might be with them, Jesus said no. The term that Mark uses here is very similar to what we use for the term discipleship, to be a student, to apprentice under a rabbi. He's saying the word meta, as in, teacher, I want to follow after you. I want to follow after you. That's his, his request. But what's interesting here is um, Jesus can't stay. Jesus has no way to stay there. He, he would be driven out of town. And so the only person that can share the gospel there is this man who was, was finally in his right mind, who was known. I have about 20 guys in my life that hang out in and around Market Street that I plead with the Lord that he would rescue them. One of them is an alcoholic um, who greets me every day, who says hello to me, who shakes my hand, who calls my wife first lady, who respects me and shows kindness to me. But I, but I do see the way he is tormented by alcoholism. There are evenings when he'll be out at Oscar's Market a little too late. I'll be a little too drunk, and he'll get beat up. It's no way to respect an elder, and yet that's happening. And I think, what would happen on Market Street in southeast San Diego if this man was able to overcome alcoholism and sit there in his right mind and proclaim the gospel? What would happen if he went around and started telling people that there's a God who loves them, but he did it in his right mind? What would happen if um, this dude who's like 10 feet taller than me that, that, that uh, s- still struggles with PCP suddenly were able to say, God is good and all I need, and he walked around telling people about Jesus. What would that do, friends? There's another guy just hangs out with us on Market Street that has three bullets in his brain. Dude smokes a lot of weed. And like, I know for me, if, you know, if you've got a three bullets in your brain, man, I'm not even going to tell you what you should do at that point. But I will say, what if there's a moment when God miraculously heals him and he's able to go and proclaim the gospel? What would that do to my neighborhood? but I can't fix him. I can't. I can't put chains on him and, and, and drag him to go to treatment because it just doesn't work unless he's willing and he pleads to God to change something. I want to put barriers around people. I want to make them and force them to be well when really, I don't know if I pray enough for them. I do pray, but What if we begin to pray earnestly for those people that are so broken, so gone, 
that we prayed for God to make a miracle. And if that happened, what would happen to our neighborhoods? What would happen to our streets? What would happen to our places of work? If God did a miracle in the life of someone who was hopeless, and I tell you, this man in the story was hopeless, hopeless. And yet here he was sitting in his right mind, and he got sent to his hometown, sent to his hometown to tell people about the man who had rescued him. It has to be Jesus. I could put social programs on people, or we can put them in prison, but it's Jesus who can take the man who is tormented by his past, by drugs, by mental illness, and make him sit in his right mind. Now, I know that some of us are called to help people, and I think that's good, but I just want you to know that you can't do it. You can't make it happen. It's only God who can do it. And I love it when someone who is getting baptized, where, where you know that it was God who did it. It's such an amazing thing to see someone baptized and see all their friends from the block around that, that come to see the baptism, and, and they don't believe who this is. Who is this getting baptized? I got a call from who? That is when God is glorified, and that is when he changes worlds. I'll tell you, friends, um, there are many people who, when I got saved, said, I don't believe it. They literally said, I don't believe that he's saved. For a year, they thought I was like doing the long con, okay? Um, they could not believe that I was truly saved. Yeah, yeah, we'll see, was kind of the way that they communicated it. We'll see. I don't know if he really is. My parents didn't believe it. And then I think that something happened where people suddenly realized it. I can tell you when I was at my school, I had to leave my friends for just a little while. But then as I grew in my in my understanding of who God was and the way he loved me, I was able to go back to my friends, and then they believed me. And you know what? Um, there was nothing special about the way I shared the gospel. I was really excited. I called a whole bunch of people sinner that like, got mad at me. But I can tell you, too, that many people were saved just because I was an idiot, and suddenly I was uh, you know, an idiot who loved Jesus. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's funny how Jesus... Um, how Jesus works in this way. He sends you to people that you understand often. He sends you to people, not always to argue with them about theology. He sends you to people that you understand. He sends you to people that you know a lot of times. He sends you to people from the streets that you grew up on or lived on. I don't think it's a coincidence that I moved back to San Diego because I felt like God was calling me here to share the gospel. It was funny, the first time that we actually went to drop off my kids at school, um, my wife looked around and there was all these idiots with their sideways hat, backwards hats, sleeve tattoos, glasses, and their stupid earrings that I have. And she was like, oh my gosh, these are the people that you come from. This is, <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I don't even mean to put my hat sideways, but I put it on and like five minutes later, it goes sideways. It's weird. <clears throat> but there's something about going back to your people and sharing the gospel, and not fighting them on like how they're wrong, but being able to say, oh my gosh, you guys, remember where I was at? Remember what I was doing? Guess what? Like, I don't even have a desire for that anymore. I don't even have a desire for that. I love Jesus. He has put me in my right mind as much as he possibly can. And, and you know, in some ways, that's going to that's gonna happen for our church, too. You know, I've, I've considered um, what are ways that our church can be a blessing to uh, communities? And I'll tell you that um, in many ways, 
we have to go to people we understand. And so most likely when we do international mission, it's going to be in Mexico and South America. Um, because I, I think it's funny like, for us to go to Japan if like, one person in here speaks Japanese and the rest of us don't. And yet we're all gifted with this neighborhood where we know Spanish. Even the people who don't know Spanish in this church know some Spanish. Like even y'all sing it. And so this is why we consider um, the places we're going. And I'm going to tell you in March, um, there's a good chance that I'm going to be going to El Salvador um, and uh, trying out some mission with one of our mission partners from Arkansas. And uh, I really hope maybe uh, this will work out and we can send more of you uh, to go care for this community in El Salvador. Um, and why? It's because, gosh dang it, like th- those are our people that speak Spanish. Um, when I went to Haiti, uh, I was trying so hard to speak Haitian Creole. And, and I tried so hard, all I remember is how to say, like, what's up? It's like, Kijou ye. Um, <laughs> but you know what we ended up doing? We spoke Spanish to each other. Because they had the Dominican Republic right there. And so, even when I went to Haiti, like Spanish was what I would default to. If I'm with someone who speaks another language, I almost naturally go to Spanish. It's so funny. And so here's the thing is, if that is a little bit in the DNA of who we are, we're going to go to El Salvador, or we're going to go to Chile, or we're going to go to Mexico, because that's in who we are, and it's easier to go to them and speak to them. I just want to close with this. Um, When you are scared, it's absolutely right to hide behind Jesus as if you're walking through a haunted house. It's okay. He's not annoyed with you. He's not not looking at you like you don't have any faith, really. He's cool with you. You can hide behind Jesus. He's fine with it. And as you walk into storms and as you are terrified and fearful of people, you can hide behind Jesus. Now I want to ask you if you guys remember that guy Jason Culpepper earlier that I talked about, the man who had sought protection from a demon and he could not find it in the nation, the man who didn't find it in reforming himself, the man who couldn't find it in embracing religious codes and ethics. I want to finish his story for you today. One day in prison, after beating the heck out of his cellmate, um, guards stormed his cell as he tripped over his unconscious cellmate. And they grabbed Jason, but he fought back and he fought the guards off of him. And then he did something odd. He rammed himself into the cell bars and he was passed out. He woke up in a padded cell with a straitjacket. And when he woke, he did this. He cried out, God, am I really dying? Please kill me. Finally, God spoke to me. He said, I won't kill what's not mine. So I pleaded with God, take me, I'm yours. Take me, I'm yours. And the demonic voices left immediately. As I continued to cry, I began to realize that it wasn't Allah who delivered me, it was Jesus. All that mattered was Jesus Christ who saved my life. In time, one of the guards said to me, you've changed my life. I know what you were, and I don't see that anymore. You were on your way to die, but you have totally changed. Friends, that same power is available to you in Jesus. The same power that rescued Jason Culpepper from a demon and trying to earn his salvation in the nation Jason, who tried to fix his predicament with just trying a little bit harder. The same power that rescued the demoniac who would have the audacity to call himself legions. 
to show off his power by breaking chains. Jesus rescued him in the tombs. Same power that rescues a man who breaks handcuffs but was truly held in slavery to the forces of evil, that man was redeemed in the story. Our God can deliver you from that. And that person that you're praying for, our God can deliver them. But you need to be willing to follow him if that's you. Friends, he should be feared if you do not follow him. That's not popular. Really, this whole sermon's not popular. It's kind of weird and creepy. That's why I picked it for around Halloween. I thought that would work. Um, Our God can deliver you from any evil. Our God can deliver your friends from any evil. But you can't earn it. You can't work for it. You should follow him and understand that he needs to be feared. He's not interested in maybe. He's interested in you falling at his feet and asking for mercy. Would you pray with me? God, this is not my most encouraging message, and I blame your uh, verse that you gave us. So I'm going to put that on you, Lord. But I want to ask that um, for those here today who have felt tormented, those who have felt struggle and pain, God, would you be their deliverer? Would you be their champion? Would you be their glory? Would you be their peace? And in this moment, um, we're going to just take uh, some time for silent confession. Father, as we stand before you, um, our hearts bear, confessing um, the ways in which we fall short. Um, we, we humbly ask for your forgiveness. We, we humbly ask for your healing hand. Um, God, our sins may not look like that of the demoniac. They may not be evident um, to other people. Uh, they may be easy to hide. Or they may not seem like such a big deal, but your word teaches us differently that all sin is treason and rebellion against you. All sin is capable of sending us away from you in eternal despair. But we have this hope, we have this trust that your son has paid the debt that we owe and completely wiped away our sins. And as we place our trust and our hope in you, you cleanse us, you raise us up from the muck and the mire, and you bring us into your presence as beloved children, whole and beloved. Christ, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. Father, we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray.